Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 58 of Forever Strength. I'm Andrew Coates, and I've got Bailey Lau with me. And we apologize. I think we missed a couple of weeks. Bailey is recovering from ACL surgery, but that's not affecting her ability to actually be here. And uh, we brought along a friend of mine from my travels, Jacqueline Kaysen. And Jacqueline is the senior director at Anatomy, which is a really cool chain of gyms owned by, well, co-owned by my friend Mark Magna out of Miami. So if anybody's not in Miami, you should check these out. And you are you are Miss Group X energy and fire. You're a personal trainer. You do public speaking. You were uh, you were doing like leading classes at uh, Strong New York. Our friend Kenny Santucci's event where I was speaking, and our friends like Don Saladino. So we've crossed paths before. It's great to have you on. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to do this. Good, Bailey. Do your thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, always the first question is how did you get into fitness or what got you into fitness? Sure. Um, pretty much born and raised in the fitness and wellness space. My father owned a fitness and wellness company that started with your fitness at home VHS way back in the day. And uh, he was a leading businessman doing this from when I was a childhood. So I always watched kind of behind the scenes and I said, you know, one day, I want to be that person on camera and that business has grown exponentially. And then I went into personal training and fresh out of college, I studied exercise science and physiology and I played a bunch of sports growing up and a passion of mine became a career. So I've never done anything else in my life except this. So it's been an amazing ride and I feel like I'm just getting started and it's all that I've ever done. Yeah. Isn't that funny how that happens? Hey, that means you obviously love it. Like there's obviously that passion there. Um, So then when you went into your bachelor of science, was that the goal coming out? I was thinking of doing something in regards to medicine. Uh, I was thinking of being an exercise physiologist and doing diagnostic stress testing with cardiac rehab patients. And I went to school and I went to a bunch of hospitals doing some sort of internship, job shadowing, and everyone recommended me to start off as a personal trainer because that's where they would send the patients to. So I said, okay. So I was thinking about going back to school, but let me go into personal training. And I got my first client and I said, that's it. (laughs) I'm stuck in the fitness field and this is where I belong. Yeah, I was going to say, because Andrew mentioned before we started how how much energy you have, which is needed definitely for a group instructor. Those big classes have so many people. I think uh, an exercise scientist or an exercise physiologist, that might be a little bit like it's not something that they need, you know, all of that energy. But a personal trainer, definitely um, that energy is helpful for sure. For sure. And, and it's, uh, it's so funny when I was a kid and I was in kindergarten, my teacher, my teacher said to me, Hey, uh, you know, you got to sit down in the chair. They call my parents. They said, I think that she has ADHD and all these things. And my, and my parents said, she's a kid. She's like five, let her just move and run around. And it's funny because now people go up to me and they say, what pre-workout do you have? What do you take? What do you want? And I say, I'm high on life. Like, this is how I am. I wake up really slow. And then after 30 minutes, I'm like, let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And something that you would need a lot of energy, but maybe a more extended 
duration um, is all the climbing that you do. You said that mountaineering and exploring was one of the things that you were interested in. So how did you get into that? Yeah. So I trained one of my clients and they were interested in climbing something in Peru to Machu Picchu. And I was very fortunate enough that she included me on that climb. And we had such an amazing experience. And they said, okay, well, where do you want to go to next? I thought it was going to be a one and done. And I said, well, I've always wanted to climb Kilimanjaro in Africa. And so we climbed that and I went with two clients to introduce two of them together. We had an amazing time and they both said, okay, uh, we're done, but you can keep going. And I ended up going to see my doctor and my doctor said, Hey, like your lungs, you have some things going on here. Very long story short, but pretty much you're not going to have a climbing career. And I said, well, this is something that has become such a passion of mine that not only am I going to keep climbing, but I'm going to do the seven summits. And so I ended up reaching out to NIMSDA. If you know who he is, I'm not sure if you know who he is. So he's the number one climber in the world. And they did a movie on him on Netflix. It's called 14 Peaks, which is the number one uh, most viewed documentary of all time. And I reached out to him about four and a half years ago. He had a couple hundred followers. Nobody really knew who this guy was. And we were messaging back and forth literally for over four years. The documentary came out, huge book, number one seller. And I ended up climbing with him uh, this past January to Aconcagua. And not only did I say I was going to do the seven summits, which is, again, the highest peak of every continent. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do the Explorer's Grand Slam, which is the seven and then the North Pole and South Pole. So that's when I'm on the journey right now. That's next level. And well, you just <laughs> I, I think of my good friend, Michael Dietrich. He goes by Mountain Mike on social media. And Bailey, I can't remember. I think Michael was still there when you came over to Evolve, right? Yeah. yeah Michael and I started as personal trainers around the same time, became very good friends. And like you, he developed a passion for outdoor stuff, taking his dog. His dog is a big star of his media and take him up in the mountains. So I see this stuff and I'm just like, wow, like this, I couldn't even imagine. But I, I, I've seen where people's passions are born from this sort of thing. And Michael doesn't have like the same level as what you just described with uh, your friend, but he's done like a couple of episodes of Naked and Afraid, which is oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Discovery Channel really likes him. So and he's he's done well in that regard, but it's it's really cool to hear about this stuff. And I, like, I've i had a client who climbed to Mount Everest Base Camp and he wants to do Kilimanjaro and he's done some stuff in Peru as well. And you, awesome. We just never talked about him dragging me along. I was never like going to do it. <laughs> Uh, you can come with me next year. Let's go. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'd survive that. Uh, anybody can. Yeah. So speaking of that, um, since you got into it, obviously it sparked that passion, but what sort of keeps you climbing? Because I know that there's a lot of effort that goes into it physically and mentally. Yeah. So I think it's the idea. I go back and forth on this because when someone asked me this question when I started it is very different than how it is now after you start to climb these mountains, your perspective kind of changes a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, why do I do these things? And it's because we can. And what I just said to Andrew, like, you can do it. You can do it too. Uh, the human body is absolutely miraculous and you can really achieve anything you want. We're coaches. We say this all the time. We say to our clients and we're all the motivation of like, you got this, dig deep, figure it out, find a way. But uh, when you're kind of put in a, a 
position of physical, mental, and it gets to a spiritual state of you have to figure this out where it's life and death, you realize where that limit that we set in our head, how far that boundary can get pushed and how strong you really are and what you can really achieve. And when you come back, you come back as a different person. Um, things look different. Colors look different. Um, it's just different. And you realize that the stressors that you have in your life are really not that stressful and things that you thought were important aren't as important. And you have a lot of clarity because you're in solitude, all the distractions are away. So you just learn so much and, um, it becomes this thing that just propels you into just really wanting more. It's not necessarily an addiction, but you realize when you think you can't, you can. So that envelope of that barrier that we set in our head just keeps getting more and more and you can do more. Yeah. And so with the lung issues that you had, um, what sort of kept you going? um, And what did you have to do to sort of work with that? Yeah. So I have a couple of nodules in my lungs. So breathing in high altitude is really challenging for me. Um, just training for that, that capacity is really important and takes a lot of effort. Um, because I'm climbing more than 20,000 feet plus, um, you really have to have passive aerobic capacity. You've got to train in hypoxic training. So I sleep in an altitude 10 and I train with an altitude machine. Sometimes it's on, sometimes it's off. It depends on where you're at with your training. Um, but I live in Miami, so I'm below sea level. So just kind of doing sleds and, and working on flatland here doesn't really get the quality of training that I need to do it. So the lungs aren't as bad, um, but it catches up to me when I push to a fast altitude in a really short amount of time. Right. So could you explain a little bit more about the hypoxic training? Sure. So again, I live below sea level, so I have a machine. Um, There's a couple of different models that are made with these machines. I just got one that came from, um, I think it's manufactured in New York, but they have them in London and they have actual gyms now that have hypoxic training in altitude. Some are training like intense in person. So you don't have to just necessarily hook up to an actual machine to your mouth, um, which is a little bit easier. We don't have that here in the States. So it's pretty much um, a machine. It's mobile. It's on wheels. And then it looks like a tube that's connected to a mask that covers my nose and mouth mouth and you can set it to a certain altitude that you want to train at and you pretty much start at 5,000 feet and then you work your way up um, and you start off depending how far out away from your climb. I would suggest about three months out and then I sleep in that the same um, altitude levels as well. So it matches that training level. So I can move around in the gym. Like I could be stationary on a bike. I could be doing like kettlebell swings and things, but it doesn't move with you. So if you were to do like sled pushes or running and movement, you really are steady, but you have to be, you can be moving in that same place. You're not taking this thing to the mall with you. No, you're not. (laughs) And it's very heavy. It is very heavy. Yeah. Hence the on wheels. So with all of this equipment then that they have, I would imagine that this kind of training is more popular. Is this something that someone would use just for general population or someone that isn't going to those high altitudes? 
Sure. It's it's really unpopular, to be honest with you. Uh, people really use this more of that like sports specific. Um, I just had a conversation a couple weeks ago, actually, with Mark about, you know, thinking about what happens if you want to better your row, because these top world people who are performing are now training with something like this. So it's really performance based. Um, anybody who's training in the UK in this altitude training center is somebody that's hiking or skiing or doing some mountain climbing. Um, there is a gym that's actually located in Miami that has this, and it's more for that gen pop fitness. I don't really know the major benefits. They talk about a caloric benefit, uh, conditioning aerobic benefit. Um, and I've talked about this with women's health as well, but to really like dive deep study wise, I haven't really studied that for the gen pop as much as I'm, I'm going to. Something probably worth noting too is I would say it was probably six to eight years ago, we saw people in gyms wearing what were called altitude masks. Oh yeah. Right? And they were using these <laughs> things. And of course these were, these things were totally debunked as, you know, they weren't actually having any sort of training benefit. They were not replicating altitude. They were yeah. just really restricting breathing and may have actually been maladaptive. So th this is just to distinguish what you're describing from this fad that was popularized but then was just revealed as like, hey, this shit doesn't work. So guys, we're not talking about going and getting like a, a, a restrictive mask. No, this is like a machine that's very expensive that you're breathing at a certain altitude and you can go from 5,000 feet to 21,000 and change. So it's really putting you at that place on a mountain. So if you were to move and sleep in that altitude, that's what it is. The mask is like restricting, as you said, the oxygen, but it doesn't correlate with anything with altitude whatsoever. Right. Nice. That makes sense, right? So then what else sort of goes into your training? I know you mentioned adding that kind of stuff in closer to the um, the hike or the mountain climb, I guess. I don't know if they're different, but um, so what sort of goes into the training for that? Yeah. So mountaineering is, is very different than hiking. Mountaineering is in the snow. You're going at extreme, extreme um, levels. You're pretty much like at some points, just standing up with your hands and your toes. Um, and it's, extreme weather conditions. You're looking at like negative 45 degrees, um, Fahrenheit, you have hypothermia and you're living on a mountain upwards of, you know, a month to two months, depending on where you're at. So it's very different. Hiking is something that's maybe you're going for a stroll, like for the day, I would say maybe 10 to 11,000 feet, you get to enjoy lunch at the top. It's a much nicer and better experience and love doing that going out West or up in Canada, I'm sure. So it's really, really different. Um, I just went on a long winded thing here, nice. but, um, with the mountaineering, it's, uh, it's just, it's just very different. The training goes into like aerobic capacity. So you do like long endurance. And again, you have to build that up. Sometimes it's steady state zone two. You're looking like an hour, two hours, three hours. You can be like on a concept two bike. Uh, you can be walking uphill. Sometimes it's like heavy, heavy sleds with a really long rest period. And then sometimes you're doing a lot of like short explosive work. Um, again, just different ways and zones of training. And you have to really mix it up because it depends on what you're doing with that training. Yes, it's long endurance, but sometimes it's like you're on your toes and you have to have that aerobic capacity to like get out and go really fast. 
And so how does strength training fit into that specifically? Yeah, you have to have really strong legs uh, because it's days on end that you really need to load and walk up and put some weight on there, especially with a backpack. So Mm -hmm. core strength or posture has to be really good because you have to handle that amount of weight and then upper body as well, because sometimes, yes, you're using your poles, but sometimes you're getting into ropes and like pulling yourself up and things. Yeah. And so then the strength training would more be geared towards your, you know, quote off season. And then you get more into the, the sled pushes and all that aerobic. Yeah, exactly. Push. So I'm definitely like off season right now. Um, mm-hmm. My next climb is in a year. So I'll probably start in a couple of months, but I'm still in like in fitness and wellness. Right. So aesthetics are important and I'm training to get some kettlebell certs and things like that. So it's not just that one specific thing. It's that's on when I'm focused on mountains, but you're really training for life as well. Recovery. You also, how many hours of group exercise do you trade a week for starters? How many classes? Yeah. Or how many hours is that? that, Yeah, not that many because I'm a senior director there. So I coach a team of 50 coaches and I do all their programming for group, scheduling, staffing. Um, all that sort of stuff on the managerial side. Mm-hmm. I only coach three classes a week and then I do really large events. Mm-hmm. So it's really not that much, but the recovery is something that I think all coaches really talk about and we don't do nearly enough. And I had this conversation in my class yesterday because a lot of people are showing up saying, Hey, Jacqueline, you know, my shoulder, my hamstring, my this. And it almost came like this floodgate of people. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We have two buckets. Here is your workouts and here's your recovery. So a lot of you are doing this. I don't even see this recovery bucket in the screen on purpose because it's so low. And then some people are opposite here. And the whole point is like, how do we find this, this balance, right? So you're crushing classes, you're crushing the gym, you're doing all these workouts, but all of a sudden it's like this kind of thing is going on. And a lot of that really is the recovery. What's so amazing is that what we have in one facility is we have a hot plunge, we have a cold plunge, we have the infrared sauna, we have a steam room, we have IV therapy, B12 shots, we have restorative yoga, mindful meditation, sound bowl healing. I'm like, guys, you don't have to go anywhere. It's right here. You know, and that's what's so amazing about being at anatomy is we have everything in house, but the thing is you have to take the time in order to do it. So they see that instant benefit of getting that sweat, getting their heart rate up, walking out. Wow, I feel stronger. I've lifted these heavier weights. They don't see that instant gratification or that satisfaction right then and there kind of doing that, those other benefits. And some people do. And those people that do really get it over time because it's something that they make part of their routine and their schedule. They carve out that time. They see the importance. The other ones, it's like, well, that takes an extra 15 minutes. I think I'm just going to go home and, and eat, or I'm going to go grab a drink because it's in Miami. They don't see those benefits and we can talk until the cows come home, but unless they actually go in there and do it, it's really hard. And they're going to kind of feel those things happen. What do you say to the type a who like functions at a very high level, intense workload, what have you, the stress that comes with it, and then immerses themselves within 
the recovery modalities you just described, the cold plunges, what have you, but they're also going out and they're drinking and they're sacrificing on sleep. And then their workouts are really tough. What what do you say there? Yeah. I talk to them. uh, I have a lot of clients like that. And I say, how do you feel? Oh, I feel fine. You don't feel (laughs) great. You don't feel great. How do you feel when you first wake up? How do you feel about after a night when you're socializing with your clients or colleagues? So I start off with literally five minutes. Everybody has five minutes. You're not having a type A person that's going to go in a cold plunge and a steam room and a sauna and breath work for an hour. It's just not going to happen. But can we start off with five minutes of just breath work and you're going to do with me part of our session right now? And then all of a sudden, it's that central nervous system gets to this relaxed state and they're like, wow, I feel really relaxed. Great. That was five minutes. Sometimes they can't even get to five minutes. They start looking at their watch, they open their eyes, they scratch. And it's like, if you moved within this five minutes or your mind started to wander, you need this even more than you think. And what I do is I use this to correlate to their business because they think business and they think numbers because that's what makes them money. So it's, what if I told you that this five minutes or 10 minutes made you sharper in your meeting or you made exponentially more dollars in your pocket because you felt and did these things? And then it's okay. Now they're ear king forward and, and tell me more. So I kind of give them those facts. Uh, some people don't like to start with feel. I start with that first. If that doesn't catch them, then I go with facts. Yeah, definitely. Logic person th- yeah. The one thing I think a lot of people are missing is the education behind recovery. They don't think it's important, like you said, um, and they don't know how to recover. I mean, not saying that, you know, taking a rest day and just sitting and going about your day isn't a recovery, but like you said, there's a lot more to it. A lot of people don't think that nutrition is part of recovery. It is. Same thing we said with sleep, also part of recovery. Um, The body needs all these things. And if you're only, you know, focusing on that one bucket that you mentioned, um, it sort of, it, it doesn't allow us to create balance, which is the whole thing about creating a healthy lifestyle that balance. Sure. And the thing is, it's like, okay, I ate a salad and some chicken. Well, you had one great meal. Did you lose the 10 pounds? No. You know, so this is not something that's a one and done. And then I think that that's what they think and hope for. It's you have to make this part of your routine. This is a habit, just like working out, eating healthy movement. Uh, It's just part of the whole scheme of things. Yeah. Sometimes just reminding yourself too that uh, this is the the goal um, to create that balance it goes a long way for sure. Um, and then another thing that feeds into that is like you mentioned before, like you have to keep pushing yourself and have that mental toughness. Um, and then going back to your, your mountaineering, that mental toughness, I'm sure there's many times you've gotten to a certain part of that mountain and been like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard. Yeah. How do you keep yourself going? Like what, what do you put into that for mental toughness? Yeah. If you don't think at some point when you're doing something and you want to quit, it's, uh, it's not hard enough because when you say that you're going to quit something and you push through that, that's where all these lessons learn. And when you fail, that's when a lot more lessons come of it too. Mm -hmm. So whenever I want to quit or I want to stop or something gets like excruciatingly challenging, I always go back to my why And my why and my purpose has to be so incredibly strong so that that will always be 
more important and stronger than no matter how poor my mind or my body is feeling. Because if I go into this and I go, oh my gosh, this is so hard. This is so challenging. This is it. I have six more hours to go or three more days or three more rotations. It's anybody can do this. It's just your mindset at that point. It's not physical anymore. That's in your head. But I know why I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm here to set records and make some changes. And so that's always a stronger than no matter how many times I want to quit. So you always keep going. Yeah. Definitely. And so then your mental toughness, how do you feel that's transferred to helping your clients? That's a great question. Um, you'll, you'll go as far as you want to push. So nothing worth having is easy and it's the hard that makes it really great. Mm-hmm. And everybody wants that instant gratification, but just as instant as it came and satisfying, you'll lose it just as fast. So when I paint the story for them said, when you first came in here, you wanted to look like this. When you first came in here, you wanted to feel like this. When you first came in here, you said all these things and I wrote it down and I date it. And when those conversations come up, I pull it up and I say on date, such and such, you said this and this and this, is this still just as important to you? Sometimes it's changed. Most of the time it's, it is just as important. I say, well, that's why we're here. So those five more reps, that's going to make the difference. Mm-hmm. You don't see it now because it's five reps, but in three months time, those five reps have changed. Those, those weights have changed. You're actually getting stronger. Does Good. your example make them kind of go, all right, like you're climbing mountains. I could, I could get through this workout. Do you like kind of tap into what you do to help oh, motivate sure. them? Yeah. The mountain at the end of the day is an analogy, right? It's a mountain of life. And sometimes we're going at a really slow state. Sometimes it feels like we're doing this. Sometimes we're like, I'm just cruising. I'm going downhill. Sometimes we're here. We're going steady across. So the mountain's really an analogy. And, you know, are you having a good day, a bad day? Is it a bad five minutes or is it, you know, a, a bad two seconds. You just switch it off and keep going. So it's really just an analogy. And when I talk about those things, I definitely bring it up and say, when I know something is hard, I know it's hard. The best is when people in my class do a 30 second mountain climber. I'm like, we're on a rooftop, the sun's out and there's palm trees and it's 30 seconds. <laughs> Let's talk about 23,000 feet. <laughs> you know, there's so much oxygen here. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> People really do need to, anyone listening, they have to go follow your media. And I mean, if you want to really double dose of this, go follow Mark Magnus as well. And, uh, you know, all, all I see from you guys is, again, the rooftop, the sunshine. Like, it, it's pretty wild, the setting that you guys seem to have. And sooner or later, I will have a reason to be in Miami. I will, I'm probably going to be in Orlando for the Olympia come November. I don't think okay. I'll get down to Miami, but someday there'll be something down there. I'll get down there. I will be coming by anatomy. We're going to see sure. what happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful space. And that's the thing. It's like, they'll always find something to complain at and they'll always find an excuse to not achieve something, but you have to change your perspective of this is an opportunity. And this is a privilege. You're able to do these things. Why would you not do them? Why would you deprive your body and your mind of not achieving these things? Yeah. And it's another thing to go through that 
um, because like, obviously I just had my ACL reconstructive surgery um, to go through that because you've been forced to go through it. Um, and then you really appreciate being able to move after you go through something like that. So would you rather be happy about how you're moving and just celebrate it by continuing to be functional and bettering your, your uh, health? Or do you want to go into something where you have to be taught the hard way um, because life did something to you and now you can't move. And now, you know, then there's that mental toughness of having to work through it and then coming out the other end, hopefully learning something um, and really appreciating how functional you can be and really, you know, for sure. And it's hard. I can't imagine I've never torn my ACL, but, you know, going through that actually happening and what that felt like and going through the process, which is several months for you, a full, full recovery, what, nine to 12 months, I'm assuming um, that takes a really long time. So are you going to quit or not go to the therapy when they're bending your leg, how excruciating that pain is? Cause I've seen people do that. Um, you know, are you going to just kind of ignore and then lose that limitation and, and change the way you move for the rest of your life? I mean, you have to go through it. But again, what you said is that appreciation for knowing what you could do to what you're doing now to being on the other side of that and going, wow, that's a new appreciation of how my body moves, but how you can then motivate and encourage other people too. Yeah, it's definitely even just because I got hurt in February. Um, it's even just had an effect on how sympathetic I am to clients. Like I've already learned that lesson. So that's nice. Um, but of course, yeah, I'm very, yeah. I'm past the surgery now. I'm just excited to be able to work hard to get back to what I was doing to before, uh, even better, you know? Absolutely. For sure. Let's, let's actually do this just for anybody listening. There's a couple things. One is Bailey has a brilliant physical therapist, um, yes. Brendan, who you know, is also works with uh, one of my clients, and I'm probably going to continue to send him more people. So you have a really resource there to help guide the process too. It Bailey implied, but didn't explicitly say this. She's recovering fast because she's so focused on fitness and strength anyway. Three, she's so strong, like literally insanely strong that she's got such strong hamstrings that for like people tear their ACLs all the time. And mm -hmm. especially often for older people, they won't necessarily go e even go in and like do surgery, right? Bailey specifically had this ACL surgery because to be able to go back and compete, play very high level soccer. But mm -hmm. your hamstrings are so strong that you could have functioned for the rest of your life without even worrying about this missing ACL. There are people who've torn and are missing ACLs and function every day life that don't even know that their ACLs are gone, right? That's actually mm -hmm. a thing. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's sort of a testament to all the things you've already done. And it's about the value of just making yourself really strong so that you're resilient. We have this idea that injuries are these, and yes, there can be some that are very catastrophic. You rip a bicep tendon or a pec tendon, that's mm -hmm. messy shit that needs to be surgically repaired. But yeah. things like uh, a lot of the knee structures, like um, rotator cuff, everybody has all this fear about rotator cuff stuff. I definitely have something unknown in my left shoulder, right? And there's, there's some stuff that's going on there, but oftentimes there's not necessarily even a good relationship between the, the nature of a structural injury and even the pain. There's a lot of people with like literally under a scan have torn up stuff there and they're asymptomatic and they can move freely. There are other people who have all manner of pain. Low back is a good example. Nothing structurally wrong with them because they they're sensitized to pain. And they fear pain. For but sure. 
humans are resilient. And I think that's the big thing. Do you have anything that you'd like to sort of like go further on about like getting around fear of pain and movement for people who are dealing with injuries, anything? Yeah, I, th- I think that address it, like push through being uncomfortable, but never push through pain. And people do a lot of the ignoring of, if I don't know what's wrong, then there's nothing wrong. And the thing is, what you said is humans are resilient. Like I have a completely torn supraspinatus subscap, you know, my rotator cuff, and I'm sitting here pressing and double up kettlebells overhead and snatching and doing snatch tests and all these things, because I, again, take the time to do the foundation work, the prep work, the skill work and movement prep. So I can handle that load and not push through pain. Um, But a lot of people, again, just do the ignoring or, oh, I just, I'm so tough and I can just push through it. It's like, well, I don't know if that's the best thing that you should be doing. So the body is amazing. The human body and the mind is resilient. You can always do anything, uh, but I would definitely address it. Don't make things worse and find out exactly what's wrong and what is best. I think going under the knife is like the absolute last resource. Definitely get a second, a third opinion, talk to different kinds of doctors, see what their thoughts are, get a scan. I've done... um, PRP, I've done STEM, I've done all these things. And this one worked with this one. This didn't work with this one. This worked better on this part. This didn't work well on this part. And then all of a sudden I got it done, felt nothing. And then I did certain like foundation strength movements that I've ignored because I want to be explosive and fast and just kind of ignore these things. Let's be an athlete. Well, I, I earned the heart or I learned the hard way. And now you went back and train those things really well. Now I'm stronger than ever with an injury, right? So get it checked out, get opinions, don't ignore it, move well, take your time. The audience is probably almost entirely female. So women are probably laughing, especially at someone like me who might be tempted to power through stuff. But women are usually pretty good at this. Stereotypically, guys were usually a little bit more stubborn. So just don't be like most guys are, please. (laughs) Yeah. I think uh, occasionally too, one of the, not trigger words, um, anyway, the words that they use on Instagram to sort of catch your eye. There's a word for that, I blanking, but. Um, hook. hook. Hook, yeah. Um, is to avoid injury. These are the exercises you do. And where, you know, strength training and all those foundation movements that you were talking about can really help a person move better. Um, it doesn't necessarily just like all the risk of injury just goes out the window. It does lessen, right? But you're still, the human body is only so resilient to things, right? And a, a small twist in a soccer game can tear your ACL, even though your leg is strong, right? So um, I think that that's one thing that that's a misconception about injury is that it's avoidable if you're strong. And it, it did make a case for on, on my part. Um, it made it a lot easier to be functional, even though I was missing that. Um, and even after, now I'm already walking. Um, so the strength definitely plays into it, but it, it's not like an avoiding thing. You can't avoid an injury. If it's going to happen, you know, it's happened. And the body is only built so well, right? Yeah, it's an accident. You know, accidents happen. Yeah. Exactly. There, actually, this is worth exploring. I, I want to hear from you guys too, but there are a handful of things that 
are related to injury risk. One of them is previous injury, right? That is actually one of the big things. Two, poor recovery, poor sleep, poor nutrition. Those things are big. There's a big idea within trainers that form has a big relationship with injury. And there's a lot of research that debunk is a bit of a strong word. I think that it probably is more nuanced, but there are some really smart physical therapists that really fight the idea that there's a big relationship with form and injury. And they do it because they don't want to create fear around movement. And I agree with that idea. I, I, I think that there are some things that are inherently more risky, but they're also using more load than you can control through ranges of motion you're not in control of. I think that presents injury risk. So anything that you do with your clients to, again, Bailey said, you cannot prevent injury. Anything you do to mitigate risk and make them more resilient. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said. Um, I think depending on who the person is, that movement prep is, or their warm up is probably going to be a little bit longer now than what it used to be. I think before it was like maybe three to four minutes and we're getting to our meat and potatoes of the workout. Um, now it depends on who the person is and everything is really specific to the person. You know, what, what's your day like? Did you just wake up, get in your car and you came here? That matters. Um, were you sitting at a desk all day long and you just came into your work and you just left like five meetings and your head's not in the right space? that matters because your body follows your mind. So it really depends. We're talking about physical. We have to talk about the mental stuff too, because if you're not mentally present by the program, you could get into a squat and lift a certain amount of weight based on what you just did last week. But all of a sudden you just went through all of this beforehand and then boom, what happened? I, I don't know. I've been squatting. Everything's fine. The weights are in the right, you know, right tempo rep range and boom, something happens with a disc possibly, you know? So all those things come into a factor. Um, but I think movement prep is a little bit longer depending on the person. Uh, we're getting a squat in there. We're getting a press in there, getting some rotation in there, getting a push, getting a pull, covering those basic movements and prepping for what we're about to lift. I see people doing some dynamic work before their movement and one doesn't correlate the other. I'm like, you're wrist bearing and weight bearing this whole set, but you did nothing of that in your movement prep. So it doesn't correlate. Like you have to match your movement with your skill work and vice versa. So how do you fit that idea into the training uh, group classes? Yeah, so it depends on what the format is because they oversee all things like sports performance, hit training, you have yoga, you have bar, you have dance, you have all different modalities. So it depends on what the format is. Um, this is where the group X instructor in me and the trainer in me come at a clash because a personal trainer in me is, says, hey, your movement prep has to match what you're about to perform in your in your program, right? But group X is whatever that format is, you want to keep that same warm up throughout every time they do that particular class. The personal mm -hmm. trainer goes, wait, what? That makes no sense. The group X goes, hey, somebody's showing up every time. They're going to feel like a champion. They know what comes next. The person that comes in late knows when to jump, when to jump right in. Um, that's when they kind of chit chat. They talk a little bit amongst their neighbor, but Hey, if they're doing that, they're not really paying attention with their body. So you get a little bit of this that goes on. So, um, you know, that if it's a bar format, you're doing something that's, uh, pulling movements, pushing, squatting and pulsing. So the warm up has to match that no matter what, every single time, if you're doing some sports performance, you're probably getting some plyos, 
um, some bounding things. You have to handle what squats, uh, hammies, you got to get calves in there, squats, like all these things have to mimic what those things are. Now, can you change that up in your warm up that I'm making sure I get something rotational, lateral, sagittal, um, making sure all the planes are covered. That's fine. Um, and then sometimes if I know if I'm spending a little bit more time in this workout or sequence that I have to make sure that I pay a little bit more attention in this and that program, but in group X in that format of that instructor in that class, it is consistent. So I know the trainer in me is going, don't do that. So it depends personal training group X. I went on a long-winded rant on that. Sorry. You've been incredible, (laughs) and we actually really appreciate your time on here. And I love how this one explored a whole bunch of stuff that we've never talked about before, especially the mountaineering. Hopefully everybody, I think, I mean, I like how you actually did create clarity around, it is a different experience than hiking. There's a significantly more intensity and more preparation going in. However, I know the hiking is massively popular. Rucking is getting popular now. So hopefully a lot of the people listening, if that's sort of, something they're interested in or want to get to do more, then it's still, there's something there to potentially aspire to something that maybe they could explore that they haven't yet. Um, Can you tell everybody where they can find you, pick up on more of your energy online? Sure. Um, I'm on all social media platforms. It's Kaysen Fitness, K-A-S-E-N Fitness. That's on all social. Um, If anybody shoots me a DM, I always answer. You can always reach out to me via email. It's kaysenfitness at gmail.com. But shoot me a DM. And if you have any questions on anything fitness, health, wellness related, I'm more than happy to answer. And I promise you, everybody listening, you've gotten one of the more subdued manifestation <laughs> energy i promise you if any of you guys ever get the chance to see her going in person in some some sort of like expo type environment uh sure. your energy is big so we appreciate you coming on everybody listening thank you uh, i'm going to be we're going to have an episode next week for you guys with a friend of mine as long as everything goes according to plan however then i'll be traveling going home to visit my family so we apologize for the weeks we don't have episodes we're doing our best here And uh, we're hoping to keep most weeks with a good episode for you guys. So thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you.